well, sin. Isn't it great? Uh, one of the things I love about sin is it's the one Christian doctrine that you don't need any faith to believe in because <laughs> there's so much evidence for it. It's just everywhere, right? Now we call it various things. What we're doing, we started last week, and if you weren't here last week for all kinds of good reasons, uh, you might help to get the, the background of this by going online and watching the talk online. We're thinking about building community. So coming out of COVID in the last couple of years, it just feels like so many of our workplaces, our churches, our community organizations, our NGOs, our, our families are just stretched and full of stress and what is our role to build community how do you do it and is there a particular christian contribution you and i can make in the building of community and lest you think i'm uh, a genius capable of producing great PowerPoint presentations and original thinking on this. I'm not. This material comes from uh, a fellow called Christian Schwartz, who's a German theologian and researcher. <laughs> a, um, who spent his life studying the global church using this process of natural church development and others. And he has this little book called The Three Colors of Community that unpacks all this data and, uh, and the PowerPoint uh, that is the base of this book is posted up on Circle, our online platform. You can access all of that. Uh, so we're going to keep going through this journey a little bit to think about how do we, because one of the, oh, and again, thank you, Sonia. Um, one of the most, one of the reasons it's so important is that sin destroys community. Sin understood as sickness or as rule breaking or as selfishness uh, actually picks apart community and relationships. And the church, we've had 2000 years of thinking and reflecting on sin. And one of the most helpful typologies or ways to approach it is to think about the seven deadly sins. And we did an introduction last week and unpacked that, and it's all available here. And uh, one of the other useful things, just as an aside, this approach actually works in our workplaces as well. This has been, uh, you, you don't have to do this to see, to release its power in a, in a workplace, right, in a community or group. So we talked last week, God is energy, there's energy in all of life, and there is energy behind sin. Uh, and the and and the key with sin is not to say no to it, but to redirect the energy that is behind it, uh, and the various energies that are are, pr are prevalent in us. We have an energy for power, for pleasure, for identity, for sustenance, for justice, for renewal, for intimacy. We have an online test you can do that'll help you identify which is your strongest energy, right? So, and which is your weakest. So to see, well, where are you really strongest for? So um, uh, one person's already done that and we'll uh, meet up with, I'll meet up with him and we'll go through the data and have a look and think about that. The beauty of the, why this is so useful is uh, our community, let's take this group in this room now, 
our community really is a function of the energy we all bring into these relationships. That's all it is, right? Um, I have uh, I have a strong uh, one of my stronger energies is for power, and so I'm using I'm bringing my energy for power into this room. You may have other energies, and so the question is, well, how do I then use my energy for power in order to build community? How might you use your energy for sustenance or for intimacy to build community? And you can think about that then at home and at work and so forth. Uh, these energies can be misdirected. Power the 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 Ten, temptation or the tendency or the, the potential for someone with a strong energy around power is pride, gluttony, envy, greed, anger, sloth, and lust. These are the seven deadly sins being talked about for the last 1,500 years. And it's really helpful to think about that. And what I plan to do this week and next is go into some detail about each of these. Um, uh, there are various biblical uh, examples of how we of how these are dealt with and this morning we're going to start talking about power and pride and that's why we use the bible reading from mark 10 where jesus takes the desire for greatness the the the, pro, the power energy and he doesn't say to his disciples don't want to be great he just says well here's actually how you redirect and transform that energy and and use it in a way that really is helpful uh, there's a redirection of energies greatness through servanthood blah, blah, blah. And these work out in communal qualities, which we'll talk about. Okay, so let's, um, let's think about power. Uh, and here's a way to start thinking about this. Uh, turn to the person or the people next to you. And in uh, how would you describe the best boss you've ever had? Okay, can you think, think of, and, and maybe you'll struggle to think of a good boss. Uh, maybe you won't. Uh, think of the best boss you've ever had. Okay, uh, you have to give a big description, but just turn to the person, uh, maybe turn to the person next to you or the people around you, groups of three or four, say hi, and, uh, and just go, what, does, what are they like? The best boss you've ever had. Thank you. 
All right, you got a minute or less. Okay, bring your discussions in while you, what are, what are some words that came up in your group to describe your best boss? Some adjectives or describing words to describe like the best boss you had, just yell them out. Encouraging? Me. Me. You're your best boss. Yeah, you see, that's a great, helpful contribution to our understanding of pride. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Never had any conflict with you. Wow. I'm, yeah. Jeez. <laughs> okay, so... Um, the next little segment I'm going to do is on narcissism. Um, like, seriously. <laughs> Collaborative. Empowering. Encouraging. Humble. So it's supporting, charisma. Trusting. Self-aware. That's great. Loyal. Yeah, those are phenomenal attributes. Um, and I, one of the things that we'll see is the, the key to the pathway from pride, the key to using your power to build community as a boss is to, is to value those you are leading and use your power to empower them in all kinds of ways. And so really, if, you, if what we'll do is you take empowering others as the key sort of redirection of that power energy, all the other adjectives you used are descriptions of what it feels like to be empowered, to have someone who's supporting, who's trusting, who's self-aware, who's empathetic, who um, is loyal. Those are the things that go, yeah, you need those to actually be empowered. And now we could do the example of what a bad boss is. Um, uh, but there are so many of those. Um, it's, it's so, so many. And at the essence of, of the misuse of power and at the essence of a bad boss is when power is used for yourself at the expense of others. Another way of talking about that is power is, feeds pride. Pride over the last couple of thousand years has been seen as the sort of the core of all sin. 
Because what pride does is it takes your power and says, I don't need you. I will use you. But pride is about my exaltation, my success, my individual achievement. I don't need others. And, and if you think theologically, pride is about saying to God, I don't need you either. I'm quite happy being my own God. Thank you very much, God. Now, uh, it's very easy to think that pride and the misuse of power is what happens to big bosses out there or celebrities or super successful people. That's not true. We are, we are each and every one of us profoundly tempted by pride. Uh, pride, uh, here's how tempting it is, you see. I, I can become proud of my humility. Well, you know, I'm, I'm so humble. I, I don't need to learn from someone like Mark who teaches and uses these funny PowerPoints from the strange German person. But I, I worked that out a long time ago. We can become a religious pride is a, is a pernicious, community-destroying, and terrible thing. Religious pride. Religious pride is the pride that says... I know I needed God at this. Come a long way since then. I'm pretty good now. Unlike these other people, you know, who don't worship quite the right way, don't have quite the same moral and ethical framework that I do. Religious pride is a pride that says, I, um, I can take God's place in judging other people. Religious pride is what drives us to have very simple, divisive, condemnatory answers to complex human problems. Think about what's going on in the US as they debate Roe versus Wade and the Supreme Court decision. And I mean, it just goes a profound division and what's under the division well isn't there pride on both sides on all sides i mean it's interesting isn't it and and you could multiply that in all kinds of ways pride says i don't need to learn from you i know the answers i'm secure in my answers i've come to understand the world the way it really is pride breaks down community because it means i'm not actually that interested in you as you I'm really only interested in you as you can help me. I don't really care about you. We can become proud of all sorts of things. Churches get proud. Yeah. Can, can pride be a good thing or is it always a bad thing? What do people think? Sorry? Very slippery. Very slippery. So pride can be used. Yeah. So 
the technical answer would be the semantic range or the range of references of pride can slip into that. Yeah, so I'm proud of this thing. The theological, the sin of pride is saying, uh, I've made this thing. And aren't I great? And you don't realize, you know, so it's me. It's I've done this. I've achieved this. I've built this rather than a deep joy in the exercise of your power and agency in, in the agency in the world to create something beautiful as a response to God with the gifts God has given you and the help of others. I would, but that's a good, that's an excellent question. Yeah. So pride, uh, the underlying energy behind pride is power. Um, uh, here's a way to think about it. There's a path away from pride. And we all have a desire for power, some of us more so than others, um, and that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. These desires, this energy comes from God. In our community here in Roselle, Balmain, this part of Sydney, for many of us, the, the energy of power will be pretty high. Uh, you, you typically don't get to be able to live in a community like this and succeed at the kind of level that most of us succeed at in this level without some without a deep energy around power a drive to succeed and exercise power over others reorganize the world uh, so power that is simply exercised for your own good leads inevitably to pride However, if you take this image that we used last week and the Christian Schwartz develops, you have this idea, the purple is like a parabola that all the, your power energy bounces off this and can be redirected to the task of empowering others. Empowering leadership becomes the key vision for how this works. So um, here's the strategy for you. Think to yourself, who am I empowering with my life now? You have power. Many of you have a very substantial amount of power. So how are you using that to empower others? I'll ask another question. Uh, who, are, who is your apprentice? Do you have an apprentice? Well, okay, so what is an, I don't mean an assistant. So think about your workplace. Is there at least one person in your field of work who you are apprenticing, empowering, sort of pouring your life into theirs, helping them become the best they can possibly be? Think about your spiritual community here at church. This was very confronting for me. I thought, oh, okay. who are you apprenticing? Who's someone who, who is perhaps newer to the faith or who's just joined our church, who you have drawn alongside and you are saying, how can I use my power, my agency to help you grow spiritually? Now, of course, if you're a parent or a grandparent, we tend to do that with those who are genetically connected to us. <laughs> well, actually, good enough parents do that. Narcissistic parents don't, uh, but on the normal, we do. And you go, okay, that's wonderful. But actually, God calls us to do this, not just with our progeny, but actually in the world. So who are you empowering? Who's, who's your apprentice or apprentices? 
So think about our church, for example. Um, I don't know, there's, I, there's 54 people here. Okay, so you go, that's a lot of energy. Now, now imagine how do you release that energy in your workplace tomorrow? Or you think about it here spiritually. How, do we, how does the church grow? You go, well, go. If, if everybody found an, an apprentice Christian, someone who was not even yet a person of faith and started empowering them and investing them and, and shared the love of Jesus with them so that in time they were here, well, we double in size. And suddenly there might be 100 people, even on a wet day in the middle of a pandemic. And you go, wow, that'd be cool. Just as God uses you to pour your life into someone else, who will then pour their lives into someone else. So here's the thing with this apprenticeship coaching model. I was thinking about this. I wonder, I, I'm, I'm planning, if you want to do the test and walk alongside me, and have me coach you through some of this material, which I'd be delighted to do. I'd be delighted to do it. But I'm only going to do it if you will commit yourself to then do that same process with somebody else. I'll give you the tools, the things there, and part of the coaching will be to equip you to do it with someone else. Um, that, that's the upfront agreement, right? I was then thinking about my role a little more and I was like and even you as a boss maybe you say to someone if someone asks you for mentoring you know I don't know if you if you get to a certain level in your workplace you'll have people say oh could you be my mentor maybe you've had that can I meet with you and pick your brains and you go yep but only if you will agree to mentor and uh and empower someone else otherwise I'm going to charge you two thousand dollars an hour you could do it that way right okay uh any questions or thoughts about empowering leadership? By the way, we have a, there is a resource available, the three colors of leadership, that is actually a phenomenal uh, approach to um, empowering leadership. I've done that in organizations and workplaces and in churches. And I can tell you, I've done it, I had it, had, had it done on me. I can tell you how terrible an empowering leader I am. Okay. Any questions, comments, thoughts, feelings? How do you feel out of that as you listen to that? Yeah. Yeah. Such joy if you've got the yeah yeah that's right it's it's very rewarding. Yeah yeah Sonia. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's a great question. How do you know what someone else needs? And how do you know that you've got what they need? Yeah, you need a, I don't know. The, the, there's no... You, at one level, you can have a structure to a structured process. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah.
yeah 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 but there's a process yeah yeah and by the way as as a parent if you as your kids get older what you discover is you move from controlling your kids to empowering them and coaching them and mentoring them far more like there's a massive change right <laughs> like when they're before they can walk if you want them to go somewhere you just pick them up and plonk them down and it's really easy uh, i tried that with oliver recently and uh, took me a week in hospital to recover uh, i'm joking you, 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 that's okay so empowering leadership again it's a great tool very helpful i've got copies of it very helpful to help you take if you want an assessment of your leadership some coaching around empowering leadership and uh and turning away from pride this is a big i mean i'm we're sitting on this a lot because it's a big one self-sufficiency independence narcissism so i did i did have, i've got a whole thing here on the seven trays of narcissists an exaggerated sense of one's grandeur and importance like actually culturally you can think about think about the institutions we're part of that you can you can actually have narcissistic institutions i can think of movements denominations companies that you can have this the frequent fantasies of success power or beauty or as i like to call it in my own life delusions of adequacy um the conviction of being someone special who should primarily relate to people of the same high status. Don't we see this all the time? People who only want to relate to people higher than themselves. You go, no, no, actually, Jesus was there with the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the down and the out. Like, you know, no. And you'll see people at work who only ever want to relate upwards to their bosses. And, and you, you'll stand, if you go, no, actually, I'm happy as someone with status in this organization to empower someone who's just joined who has nothing to offer me. That's powerful, right? Uh, the longing for excess, excessive admiration, unreasonable expectations for special treatment or automatic compliance with one's expectations, using relations with others primarily for self-interest or to manipulate them, lack of empathy. I, can, I mean, we just, there's a deep lack of empathy so often culturally. And I get alongside strong feelings of envy or the conviction that others will be envious or an arrogant performance. Anyway, sorry, you had a question mark or a comment before Yeah. Ah, uh, look, the workplace is full of a whole bunch of psychometric tools like Myers Briggs that has no scientific basis at all, but is incredibly widely used. Uh, DISC, uh, you can name them the Gallup Strengths Finder, and so on. That's a discussion beyond that. So, so this, yes. So each of these tools is similar but theologically driven in that they try to move you to a deeper experience of God and a deeper reflection of God's love in the world, but not dissimilar, but they're not straightforward personality tests in that way. Uh, but that's, I can show you, there's a whole bunch of thinking around that. So let's do, how are we going for time? Should we do something on gluttony? Gluttony is awesome, eh? Hey? We'll do that over morning tea. <laughs> You can have a chocolate while you do that. Yeah, actually just putting chocolate up there will probably cause a bit of a spike in your insulin levels, uh, even as we speak. Um, one of the energies we have is an energy for pleasure, right? Uh, and that is not bad. Remember last week we talked about one of the things you do with these energies is you can either sort of just say no, try and repress it, deny it, and say, no, 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 just don't feel it. 
like pleasure's bad. This is, I mean, typically if you grew up in the 80s or 90s in the Christian church, uh, this was typically the attitude of most youth groups to sex and sexual pleasure, which is it's bad. It's don't, don't touch it. It'll fall off. Um, you know, avoid it, avoid it, avoid it. Um, you know, so, so that, that has really profoundly negative long-term consequences in terms of our attitude to sexual pleasure, for example. Uh, of course, then the alternative is you go, no, 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 well, actually what I'm going to do is I will then accommodate and be completely permissive because just saying no doesn't work, so then anything goes. That's equally destructive. What you need in regard to pleasure is to understand God has wired us up for pleasure, right? And the question is, where do you find your pleasure how does it control you? Do you control it? Um, and one of the seven deadly sins that we discover is the when, when that energy for pleasure is misdirected, is it's directed towards gluttony. And there are a variety of gluttony, of, and, and gluttony is about food. Like how much time do you spend in any given day thinking about food? You spend a lot. You've got you to plan, you've got to shop, you've got to cook. You got to eat. You got to clean up. You got to think about it, right? And you got to worry: Am I eating the right kind of food? Am I too fat? Am I too thin? Is this food killing me every second? I mean, we just think about it a lot. And eating food is very pleasurable, isn't it? Like, I'm not a foodie, but there's nice food. Oliver and I were away this week, and uh, we ate nice food, and we drank nice beer, and it was great. And we played bad golf, but the food was great. Um, so the answer is not, the problem is not the pleasure we get from food per se. The question is, what is our underlying attitude to the food? What's, what is our attitude to the food? So um, you can have people who are, um, you know, for example, just junk food junkies where they eat rubbish, cheap carbohydrates, lots of sugar, just whatever gives them an immediate feeling of gratification. And they eat all the time for all kinds of reasons. Uh, food becomes used to self-medicate all kinds of misery and, and hurt and inner conflict and brokenness. Um, but food, they become just consumers of quantities of whatever will, food will make them feel better in the short term. But then on the other hand, you also get people who are unbelievably health conscious. Um, uh, I had a, many years ago, we were at a church camp and we had this guy in our congregation, this is 25 years ago. And he was, he was a big guy and super health conscious. And he was bodybuilding and doing weights. And, and he had this unbelievably strict regime of what he could eat and what he couldn't eat. He came away for a church weekend away. And, he, and it was a disaster because he couldn't control his food. Because we said, no, no, you can eat in these. The kitchen is only available in these times. And the, you can't eat five times a day. You can't control your own food. He found it, it was like we were taking something immensely valuable from him. Uh, I had a family member, I have a family member, 
whose ex-wife was in also into bodybuilding and she they would they would come to dinner and bring their own food like i'm sorry but that's just rude and i would say to them that's just rude so what's a better so so you go at that point you're controlled by this stuff you know, it's, so you can be gluttonous in 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 the food is all about you you see what there's nothing wrong with food but when you read the bible food and the pleasure we get from food is actually to be directed towards uh community is it not it's to be directed towards um towards what what actually schwartz calls effective structures that is organizing your life in such a way that food and eating and pleasure builds community you can say no so for example if you go away on a church weekend away and you're a bodybuilder who needs to eat five times a week and can do nothing else you need a structure in your life that says on this weekend i'm going to eat whatever the heck is put in front of me because that's what's good for the community uh, you need to structure your life to bring food and pleasure under your control and not be controlled by it uh, we we can't allow our our desire for pleasure to master us um so here's how here's here's what a structure looks like uh, you can imagine uh there's a the path away from gluttony is that there are two things in the bible that are two two attitudes to food that are endorsed in the bible okay one of them is feasting like food is prominent in the bible you eat you drink you celebrate you party you enjoy food the bible is massively pro food and pro pleasure that we derive and and food is at the center of every community thing right in the bible and in jewish culture okay so that's one what's the what's the other attitude fasting so actually the the two poles of the bible's way away from gluttony is community feasting and community fasting you fast and you feast you got to do both and you're in control of both right your your desire for food your attitude to he says your paul says in philippians talks about he says their god is their stomach our stomachs are not to be our gods that's our effective structure to structure your life feasting and fasting in community one of the geniuses of what we've been doing on sunday nights with alpha is that we eat together we sing and then we eat and then we drink and then we talk like that's just church right so what we're about to do with coffee and morning tea is feast and that's part of being in community food is amazingly significant pleasure is significant but let's be away from gluttony how are we doing for time where are the kids let's wrap up there and to next week we're going to think about identity and sustenance and a few other things envy and gifts and all kinds of good stuff so um let me pray lord jesus i pray that you will uh, work in our lives to free us from pride and move us instead to become a community here at church in our homes and in our workplaces where we empower others and free us from gluttony lord take our desire for pleasure and help us structure our lives so that food and pleasure more generally serves the purpose of building community of sharing love 
in a way that is healthy and life-giving for all. And we ask all of this in your name. Amen. <laughs>